0: Uh, hello, good morning. My name's Matt. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City. Uh, it's my privilege to get to speak to you today. And what I want to talk to you about today is this idea of greatness. Greatness. And humans, we chase greatness in like a, a hundred different ways. Uh, we, we, we chase after a title, right? Prime Minister, CEO, PhD. Uh, we chase after achievements. I am the Everest climber. I'm the 800 meters world record holder. I am the first one to cross the Atlantic in a bathtub blindfold. <laughs> we, we chase after a following, whether it's a, a, a fashion icon or a, a tech guru or a, an Instagram influencer. Why is it, do you think, that people so desperately want to be something they want to be great if if you could take a look inside their heads and kind of deconstruct how they were thinking what do you think we would find drives people towards greatness it takes some serious effort to get there so what is it that drives us that way and what about what about you and me do we do we chase greatness too well, I'm, I'm a, a leader here at Hope City and I've worked pretty hard for this. I, I pursued the idea of planting a church for years. What, what am I in this for? Am I in this for greatness? What are my motives? If I if I uncover my heart and open it up, what, what would you find in there driving me? Perhaps there's something you've done. Perhaps there's something you've achieved. Perhaps there's a role you have or a role you had in the past that you would say qualifies as greatness? Can you think of something like that in your life? If so, take a moment, ask yourself, why did I pursue that? What, what was it that made me want to go for that? Perhaps you can't think of anything at all in your life that qualifies as greatness. I think we've got some very humble people in Scotland who would, uh, who would be good at that sort of thing. Um, but here's the thing, I still bet you would like it even if you haven't had it. I bet you want to be something. Maybe you don't want to run the country, but I bet you want to run something. Uh, Ultimately, I think that desire for greatness, for significance, that desire is, well, really, I think it's part of the human condition. I think it's part of our default operating system. It's part of how we are hardwired. And it can produce amazing things. This desire for greatness, it can produce some incredible achievements, great acts of heroism, huge progress in science, a, a, a work of art that's simply extraordinary. But more often, what it does is it brings out the darkness hiding inside of us, so it tears others down so we can feel bigger. It pushes others out the way so that we can get through. It focuses so much on our goal that it ignores everybody else. And yet it seems like this desire for greatness is inside all of us. It's hardwired into our souls. Could we just erase it, do you think? Can we simply ignore it? Can we pretend that really I don't want greatness at all? I'm not particularly interested in that. Or perhaps is there a right way to pursue it? Well, we've been working our way through the life story of Jesus as told by Luke, who's a doctor about 2,000 years ago. We're in the dramatic closing section of the story now, and this week, in the, in the middle of an intense episode, we find Jesus' closest followers, the disciples, having an argument about which one of them is the greatest. As if that was the most important thing to be talking about at this moment. But Jesus takes this opportunity to teach us and teach us about the right way to use power in particular. But more than that, he teaches us about true greatness. So why not listen along with me as we hear the short section right in the middle of that famous Last Supper. We're in Luke chapter 22 and we're starting at verse 24. That's page 1057, if you've got one of these blue church ones. Page 1057, uh, Luke chapter 22, big 22. And then verse 24, it's all the way in the bottom right corner, little 24. And Sam is going to come read for us this morning, I think. Sam is going to come and read for us this morning. Should I should have more confidence in these things. <clears throat> so Luke 22, and then starting at verse 24. Thank you. <clears throat> A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves." You are those who have stood by me in my trials and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Thanks, Sam. Well, what a moment for an argument, right? Have you ever had an argument break out at exactly the wrong moment? There you are, out on your romantic date, and all of a sudden, as you're celebrating a big win together as a team, and then somebody starts a fight, maybe just as you're heading to bed, and you're just about to close your eyes, and it's suddenly that moment. when. Well, this tops any of that, because we are in the upper room, and it's it's the Jewish Passover, so this is the high point of their religious calendar. This is Christmas morning. This is, the, this is the kind of big moment for them in their year. The disciples have been following Jesus for three whole years, and he's just told them this is going to be the last meal they will ever share with him in this world. He's taken parts of the meal itself, and he said, these are symbols of something much bigger. These are symbols of how I'm going to give up my life for you. And then he stunned them. And he said, oh, and by the way, there's a traitor in your midst. One of them is going to betray him. How is that the moment for any kind of argument about greatness? Isn't that strange? I mean, seriously. And yet a dispute, it says, also arose among them as to which was considered to be the greatest. That feels so out of place in the middle of what's going on here, doesn't it? It's like when you you pick up that piece of fruit and you turn it over and oh, it's covered in mold. This feels Ugly. This doesn't seem to fit. And I guess that's one of the things I love about the way the Bible tells us Jesus' story. This is no sanitized account of what happened. This is not like an airbrushed, polished, improved version of this. This is, this is authentic. This isn't trying to pretend that the disciples are shown in the best light possible. This, this feels, unfortunately, quite real, doesn't it? Why would anyone invent in this stuff? make up a section about the key leaders of the movement having an argument with each other about something stupid. It feels like the sort of ugliness you would see at a team meeting in the office or in the playground at school. The sort of thing you'd find going on behind closed doors at a church, if you're honest. Now, we might not come out and say it. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? But do you know what we're thinking? And do you know what we're working on? Do you know what we're acting for? That's what's driving our actions so often. Well, these disciples, they are hungry for greatness too, but it's not just them. Our world is filled with people who are hungry for greatness. And I think we need to be honest, and let me be honest for a minute. I am, I am hungry for greatness. I I do want to be somebody. Worse than that, I want to be more than somebody else. I think that's the truth. And I bet a bunch of you do too. Now perhaps you're looking for that through business success. It's one place we look for greatness. Maybe you're looking for it through academic achievement. Maybe you're looking for it through raising children. Maybe it's through being the best cook. Maybe through writing the best song or running the fastest race. Where are you hungry for greatness? Well, there's this argument, there's this struggle, and it is a struggle, and I think, that we share. And then Jesus wades in, and what he says in response to this is profound. Uh, it's significant for all of us. He teaches us in this moment about true greatness. He teaches us about the path that leads to true greatness. Greatness in the world around, Jesus says. Well, greatness in the world around is being king, lording it over people. Ruling, exercising power. It's having people jump when you snap your fingers. That's what greatness is in the world around. He says it's being admired, being looked up to, being honored. See here in verse 25, he talks about the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And then he says these rulers call themselves benefactors. Now benefactors is a funny word. Do you know what it means? Literally, the word means do-gooder. They're like, look at me, look at me. I'm a do-gooder. You should call me a do-gooder. It's a title for people who have done or or given good things. Instagram was made for that sort of greatness. Yeah, I'm a uh, pretty smoking hot today, you know. Or 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 um, LinkedIn, advised chief executive on key strategic decision, deliberate project under budget ahead of schedule. Oh, and do like to do a lot of work for charity. Um, how often do we practice that sort of greatness or want to achieve that sort of greatness, right? Wanting to achieve it, if I could just lose a few pounds here, or if I could just get onto that big project in front of somebody else. But that's greatness in the world's eyes. And you know the problem with that sort of greatness? Well, here's one problem with it. It is nothing at all. In the end, it is nothing at all. If you look good now, I can tell you the day will come. Life takes its toll, Madonna. No longer 21. How many, how many funerals have you been at where somebody pulls out the CV and reads out the CV for you so you know how great somebody was? Who cares about your grades once you're gone? Uh, even the greatest of people in these terms is soon relegated to a a footnote in a history book somewhere. And yet, we will kill ourselves chasing after this greatness or kill others. And Jesus says his people are to be different. I know if you're here today as somebody still exploring faith, we probably don't look that different. The truth is we are not doing a great job believe me, we do know it. That's why we're gathered together this morning. We're going to listen to Jesus' instructions again, and then we want to try and do better at following them. It's not because we have it all sorted, and we've already made the grade. We're here because we know we haven't. Jesus says his people are to be different. And then he gives them two contrasts to work with, two contrasts to these patterns from the world. The greatest, should they, should they shout it? Should they trumpet it? Should they demand that they get special titles? Should they be pointing at themselves saying, look at me, look at me? No, the greatest, it says, are to be like the youngest Verse 26, the greatest are to be like the youngest. Now, what does he mean by that? Does he mean the great ones are meant to be the cutest? Or the great ones are the most innocent? What do you associate with being young? Well, in that culture, at that time, do you know what that meant for them? Kids were not the center of the universe like they are today. People did not spend their lives running after their children, taking them to ballet, judo, piano, football, tutor, yoga, and then back to ballet. Back then, children were the least, uh, the least important, the least significant. If there's an ugly go- a job to do, do you know who should do the ugly job? Children. Yeah. Uh, if there's a decision to be made, whose opinions are of no significance whatsoever? The children. Maybe this is a good plan. <laughs> uh, that's how it was, anyway. So when Jesus talks about the greatest ones among his people, the big hitters, the serious players... The guys with the long titles, the big hats and the fancy robes. When he says they're to be humble like a child to consider themselves unimportant, insignificant. That's what he's saying. Not to have people run around after them, pamper them, take care of them. Greatness among God's people is about humility and sure, it is easy to point the finger at others. Isn't it? But Jesus is talking to us. Greatness doesn't say Move aside, I am coming through. Greatness doesn't say, Well, let me tell you. Greatness says, Will you tell me? Greatness doesn't take the solo. It makes room, the space for somebody else to play. So how are we doing it through greatness? How much do we want to be important? How much more do you talk than listen? How much more do you want to be star? rather than supporting caste. Maybe you're not doing too well. Uh, maybe I'm not doing too well. But there's more that Jesus wants to show his disciples and us here. Uh, Jesus speaks about what greatness is among his people, and then he tells us how to lead among his people. You might be thinking, well, that's irrelevant. I'm not a leader. Now, let me give you three reasons to listen still. First, we all have spheres in which we lead in the home, uh, among our friends, on a serving team. Second, it's going to help us consider what sort of leaders should you follow and who should you avoid. And third, it teaches us more about what true greatness is through the pictures that Jesus uses here. So how do you lead among God's people? And again, it's a contrast to how the world exercises power. Jesus says the one who rules should be like the one who... Who serves. The one who rules should be like the one who serves. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's a powerful picture right here for us. In this scene of Jesus' story, last week, if you were with us, you would have seen Jesus literally serving his disciples bread and wine, literally bringing them food. And that's what the word serve means at its root here. It means wait on tables. That's the kind of fundamental meaning to it. Jesus has literally just been waiting on his disciples' tables. Uh, in John's gospel, in John's telling of Jesus' story, in this same evening, there's another element that we see. In John chapter 13, Jesus takes a bowl and a towel and he washes his disciples' feet, stinky, smelly feet. You And in that time, in that culture, this was the job of a servant, the lowest of the low. It was reserved for special categories of unimportant servants. And who has the towel and who has the bowl? Well, Jesus does. And Jesus, in case you've not been with us through the story, has been shown to be the unique son of God. He's been shown to be unequaled, preeminent over all creation. And here he is waiting on tables and washing feet. Now that's not a role for an equal among friends. That's not a role for a player. That is no role for a king. That cannot be a role for the king of kings, can it? or so we assume, but it is, it is no accident. Jesus is making a point. Jesus is leading from the front here. He is leading by example. Even if we just take these things at face value, serving food and washing feet, but both of these things really are symbols for how Jesus is going to serve his followers in a radically greater and a radically more costly way in just hours. He'll do more than take on the role of a house servant. He'll be tortured. He'll die a terrible death, a death which served them because it was a death for them. It was a death in their place. Otherwise, it would have been theirs. Otherwise, it would have been ours. Can you get your head around just how extraordinary Jesus' demonstration of leadership is? Uh, The Bible describes it uh, elsewhere like this. It says, Jesus is the one who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. As Jesus teaches how it is that his followers should lead, he says the one who rules should be like the one who serves. He is also modeling that. I am among you, he says, as one who serves. Verse 27. That is so different from the way ruling works in the world around us, from the way leading works in the world around us. Jesus is inviting us into a kingdom where leading and ruling is defined by serving those you are over. It's defined by his own example of giving up your privilege, your honor, your comfort, your freedom, even your life for the good of those you are leading. And that is true greatness. That's what defines true greatness. So perhaps is not such a bad thing that within us we have this desire for greatness, this hunger for greatness. If we were to pursue that sort of greatness, one which is humble, one which serves others, can you imagine what sort of world that would produce? There's one more thing here to help us as we think about transforming the way we lead and the way we interact with each other, as we think about pursuing true greatness. The passage we just read, which talks about what Jesus did. Well, it goes on to say this. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He took himself all the way to the bottom and God exalts him to the highest place, gives him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' story does not end with him as a servant or end with his death. It ends with him exalted over everything, exalted over everyone. And in our passage today, did you notice at the end, even as Jesus speaks to his disappointingly fractious disciples, he himself tells them they have a place in that greater and more glorious future. Verse 29, he says, I confer on you a kingdom. They want to be great? They're arguing about who's the greatest, you know, they're going to have a kingdom one day. These first disciples, they will share in Jesus's future kingdom. How's that for greatness? They're going to feast at his table. They're going to sit with the king of kings. If you're describing greatness, what's an invite to the palace for a tea party? What's an OBE? Well, what is sitting at the table? With the risen Lord Jesus himself, now exalted in glory. Jesus is the pattern of humble service. He's also the pattern of future glory. The disciples aren't going to be the king. Be carefully. He says that it is my kingdom still. My table still. Only one king, Jesus. But they will be received by the king. They'll be welcomed by him. They'll be honored by him. And that is greatness worth running after. That is greatness worth pursuing. That is greatness which is achieved through humility and through service. Two minutes as we close to get practical. What does this mean for you and me this week, practically? Well, there's no question this passage applies first to leaders in the church, right? It applies to me, to our elders to our directors, to the many others who lead in our church because participation is one of our key values. There are lots of people leading at different levels. And it says to us, do you want to be great? Humble yourselves. It says to us, do you want to lead? Then serve others. This applies to anywhere and everywhere we lead. I think pretty much all of us lead somewhere. So think about how you lead. What does it look like to humble yourself? I feel like quite an abstract term. What does that look like in practice? Well, I've been away uh, at a conference. And it just so happens the same theme came up in one of the sessions there on the same passages. Uh, so I've been double challenged this week on it. And here's the truth. I, I do want to be great. I've realized that. I do want to be someone. I do want to make a difference. I want to make a dent. Now, there's a, there's a dark... And ugly, there's an ultimately destructive way we can go about that. I can puff out my chest and brag about what we've achieved. I can airbrush our progress so it looks more impressive than it really is. I can want a platform for myself. A movement where people will listen to my big ideas. Thinking we've got something others should want. We've cracked the code. And I I really do feel that draw. I really do. We are trying to do something new here. We, um, we do think we have some good ideas. We are seeing a, a measure of success. Oh, there's a kernel of truth in these things. But the right way to go about pursuing greatness is not through boasting, it's through humility. And that looks like celebrating others' successes. That is something you can all do this week. More than talking about your own. Cheering them on. Listening to others, seeking to learn from them rather than always wanting to speak. Peace in just being a small part of something rather than wanting to be big in it. Joy in being part of a wave. Part of a giant movement rather than the presumption of leading something. I was in a room with 5,000 church planters from around the world this week. There is a larger movement going on. Through humility, it is that we'll find true greatness. If we're humble, we really could be somebody that God uses. If we're humble, he really might use us to make a difference. Because God does not share his glory. If we won't humble ourselves, we cannot be great in his kingdom. So if you want to be great, and I think you should want to be great. I think you should aspire to greatness. Greatness. You should be great through humbling yourself. And what about leading by serving? What does that look like in practice? Well, here's a really important point for us to get our heads around. Serving Jesus' style is not just about doing what people want you to do. Serving Jesus' style isn't doing what people want you to do. Peter did not want his feet washed by Jesus, not one bit. He tried to stop him. The disciples did not want Jesus to die. They tried to stop him. But it was what they needed. It was what was best for them and it's what Jesus did. That is what serving Jesus style looks like. Now it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking you are serving people when you tickle their belly and do what they want and say the things they want. But often that is not truly serving people. Think about what will help them flourish. What will bring out the gifts they've got Bring their strengths into play. Where do you need to challenge them to grow? Do you know Jesus is big on challenging his disciples to grow. So serving is not simply doing what all the people around you want you to do. Ultimately, it means laying your life down for them. That's the example Jesus sets for us. How do you lay your life down? How do you put their needs ahead of your own? How do you... Give up the time, the resources, the opportunities that you really wanted for yourself and give them away to those that you're leading and serving. How do you help somebody around you become greater than you will ever be? See the potential in them and then bring it out. True greatness then is humbly serving like Jesus. Jesus. And he shows us here true greatness will be honored. Just like Jesus is honored as he humbly serves. Let's take a moment, just 30 seconds to reflect. What does this have to do with you? And then I'll pray. Father God, you, you, you know us. Uh, nothing we can hide from you. Father God, you see straight through us. Uh, you see the mess that our desire to rule over people and be honored and exalted is making of your world. Jesus shows us a different way to live, and I pray you'd help us to listen and to follow. Thank you that you have planted a desire for greatness in our hearts, and it's a desire that can be fulfilled only and ultimately in you, with you, in your kingdom. Please help us this week. Help us when we don't want to be humble. Help us when we don't want to serve. You know that we need your help. We pray by your spirit you would be working changing hearts. That you change my heart and attitude towards these things. That you change uh, our lives as uh, your people. Thank you that you are so humble. That you serve us at such cost. May you get the glory. Amen.